Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's God's word. It's imperative that every person, every Jewish person, take the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of every person, of every Jewish person as well, which is why we keep, that's what, which is why we keep going back every summer to the same cities every year in the, su- in the summer blitz. Now, I told you about the, 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 the response of the Orthodox Jewish people in Brooklyn last Friday. Well, on the same day last Friday, two days ago, not to be outdone, we, an article appeared in the Baltimore Jewish Times. And, 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 and the, title of the, uh, the title of the article it was, Who's That Knocking at My Door? Okay, so that tells you where we're going. And, and the article reads, Israel Restoration Ministry still soliciting its proselytizing message to Jewish people. Israel Restoration Ministries is back in town. And Ruth Guggenheim of Jews for Jesus, among others, is concerned. And she says, this is the same group that blanketed us a year ago. It's disturbing, said Guggenheim. I think she should have stayed in the museum, but anyway, uh, forget that. All right, so the article claimed that, that we had gained access into senior Jewish senior apartments, complexes there, and, and they were uh, complaining about that. And as a matter of fact, they interviewed a woman named Anita Brown, who is the community manager for the Weinberg Manor properties, and she said that she hadn't received any complaints, and they quoted her as saying, not at all, not one resident, and trust me, if they have problems, they will complain. <laughs> <laughs> My people are experts when it comes to complaining. So the Baltimore Jewish Times, they called, and they wanted to know why we keep going back to the Jewish people in Baltimore. Why don't we just leave them alone? I mean, and, and the answer to that question it can be seen if you asked a Jewish person who had seen the death camps in Nazi Germany before the majority of the Jewish people had, knew about it, and was trying to persuade his fellow German fellow Jews there to leave Nazi Germany before it's too late. Now, does that Jewish person go just once to his fellow Jews and try to persuade them to leave Nazi Germany? Or no, he he goes first, and his fellow Jews tell him that he's delusionary. They tell him that this is Germany, it can't happen here. They rebuff him. And so what does he do? Does he just walk away and say, well, they heard once, that's enough? No. He says, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, well, they were told and I'm finished. No, he keeps going and going and going and going, and he doesn't stop until all of his fellow Jews have left Nazi Germany. That's why we keep going back. That's why we keep going back to the same Jewish communities every summer for the summer blitz, because of two words in Isaac's fundamental question. 
There is only the lamb for a burnt offering. And where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And we know the lamb for a burnt offering is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not guessing. We know the lamb of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the Jewish people, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that no Jewish person can have their sins taken away or go to heaven without the Lamb of God, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, to take the sins away. And, and, and we also know the first word in Isaac's fundamental question of but, and it drives us to know that what the Jewish people have done, they have distracted themselves away from the fundamental question with religion, with doing many wonderful works. Instead of focusing on the fundamental question, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? See, it's because of those two words in Isaac's fundamental question, the word the and the word but, that explains why we keep going back every year to the same Jewish people. Now, we've seen in verse 7 that this Isaac's fundamental question here, but don't miss in verse 7 the importance of these words, my father, my son. My father, Avi, friend of mine, good friend of mine in Jerusalem named Avi. My father, Avi, my son, Bani, my son. See, these words of my father and my son, they show just how hard this was for Abraham. This, when you read these words, my father, my son, you got to see that this was tearing Abraham apart. This shows how difficult this was for Abraham. See, the natural course of the human heart when someone is going to die, is to draw away and protect yourself. Draw away and protect your heart. It would have been natural for Abraham to have protected himself by distancing himself from Isaac because he knew he was going to die. He could have looked at Isaac and said, you're going to be dead. I'm not going to let my heart get torn up here. But this is not what we see in this tender moments here, in these tender affectionate terms of my father and my son. See, these terms, my father, my son, in verse 7, it really shows us that how hard and difficult this was for Abraham. They impress us also with how unwavering Abraham was to go through with God's command to sacrifice Isaac. These terms, my father, my son, they show us just how much Abraham stood in the middle of his natural love for Isaac and his devotion to God to obey God. This was quite a cost for Abraham. So first we see in verse 8 that Abraham starts his answer with the love of a father to his sons with, again, the words, my son, he says in verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Now this question put Abraham in a real bind. The, the, the fund, Isaac's fundamental question, put him in a real bind. He was in a tough place. And we, I mean, we can imagine Abraham trembling with the question, how am I going to answer that? We can feel Abraham's dilemma as he asks himself, what am I going to say to my son? On the one hand, Abraham knew that Isaac was the lamb, but Abraham does not say to, to Isaac, you're the lamb. And instead he gives this God will provide answer. Now, let's think about that answer when when Abraham says God will provide. See, when Abraham says God will provide, we can see Abraham really struggling within his soul and then coming out with this confession to Isaac that he was really saying to Isaac, Isaac, I don't fully understand how 
but I understand that God will provide. See, with this God will provide answer, Abraham, don't think of it as as a pushback or evasive. That's not the way it was. He was saying to his son that he didn't fully understand what was going to happen, but he did fully understand who God was, and he understood the ability of God, and he understood that God was in control of whatever would happen. So Abraham knew. Isaac, I mean, he looks at his son Isaac. Isaac's trembling. He looks at his son Isaac. He sees he's so disturbed on his face, Isaac, you see, about the problem of the absence of the lamb. And as a compassionate, caring father, Abraham, he feels, he feels this pain, this trouble that's in Isaac. He's disturbed by it. And all that compassionate care that Abraham has, it just comes through when he says the word. He starts off with my son. He says, my son. He's not saying to Isaac, Isaac, I have my own troubles. Don't bother me. You know, I've got enough to deal with now. He's not saying, he's not pushing Isaac back. He's not saying that. He's saying, he's saying here, by the words of my son, he's saying, Isaac, I know how troubled you are right now at the fact that it looks like you are the lamb. Isaac, I know how terrifying this all looks to you. So when I say to you, my son, I want you at this point to just follow my lead. Follow me. Isaac, I'm going to guide you for how not to be terrified in this situation. He's a real father here, Abraham. I mean, Abraham is facing the same terror that Isaac was facing, and he's now going to instruct Isaac as to how to not be terrified. And, and we need that. We, how often we need Abraham's instruction. We need to know when we run into certain situations how to not be terrified. And how often we're like Abraham and Isaac and we're faced with a terrifying situation and we need to be instructed how not to be terrified. So this is Abraham. He's going to instruct us now. So Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide. Now, when Abraham says that to Isaac, as we said, he's saying, look, I don't understand exactly how this is what's going to happen. But by saying God will provide, Abraham was holding out to Isaac the possibility that God was going to do something uh, unexpected, that God was going to do something wonderful that he didn't know about. And so Abraham is telling Isaac that in this terrible situation that that both he and Isaac were in, that they really had a, a very real choice. On the one hand, they could focus on the details of the situation, which were terrifying. In other words, they could spend their time and focus and energy focusing on the details of how long it was going to take for that altar to be built that Isaac was going to die on, you know, kind of like on death row and looking at the date of your execution. Or how strong were the cords that were going to tie Isaac up with, and would, would Isaac be able to break them if at the last minute he decided, I don't want to do this? Or how sharp was the knife that that was going to be plunged into Isaac? And would Isaac feel pain and suffer? Or how hot was the fire and how long would it take to burn up Isaac? See, all those are details. Now, they sound kind of crazy, but that's the way our hearts go for it. Our hearts go for detail. Our hearts go for the how long, how strong, how sharp, how hot details. And, And Abraham is saying, okay, now, instead of focusing on that Isaac, 
I want you instead to fo- don't, st- don't focus on those particular details that will only terrify you, but instead put your focus on how good God is and how providing God is. And when Isaac asks this question to Abraham, where's the lamb? Isaac is, at, is saying, really, he's saying to Abraham, my father, I'm afraid. Help me not to be terrified. Instruct me not to be terrified. Show me how not to be terrified. And so we're like Isaac. We find ourselves in that I am afraid place. And we want to know also how not to be terrified. And our friends sometimes are like Isaac when they find themselves in that I am afraid place. And they want us to help them how not to be terrified. So in those situations, Abraham's words guide us too, not just Isaac, guide us too by telling Isaac what he had to focus on, by telling Isaac not to focus on the how long, how strong, how sharp, and, and how hot the fire details that only lead to terror. Instead, Abraham tells Isaac, don't focus on those things. He's telling us, don't look on the internet for all the details that's going to lead you to terror. You know, but they didn't have internet then, but anyway. Instead, Abraham tells Isaac, focus on how good God is. Focus on how providing he is. That's why it's important to see that God is the creator who provided for everything needed in his creation. That's the theme of the creation, the providential, the providing God, creating, providing everything that's needed. That's why we have a tabernacle section in the creation museum. People will say, you know, what does a tabernacle have to do with creation? You have a creation museum. Why do you have a tabernacle in the creation museum? The answer is because in creation, God provided for everything needed. And man's greatest need is redemption and salvation from his sins. And the tabernacle, along with creation, shows how God provided for man's need of salvation from his sins. And that's the most important point to see in creation is just how God provided for everything. You know, last Thursday night, we had Dr. Joe Martin who did this series uh, called The Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution series. And he spoke at the Creation Museum. And as he talked about the certain plants and animals, it was really marvelous, that God created, he kept saying, God thought of everything when he created. He kept saying that. God thought of everything when he created. That's why the devil pushes evolution deception because creation and seeing how God thought of everything and met those needs, it leads to the peace that God provided. But evolution leads to the terror by removing God as the provider. In other words, God provided for everything when he created. So when Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide, Abraham is saying to Isaac, look, Isaac, at how I did not know how God would provide for our wealth, our family wealth. But in Egypt, God provided. Look, Isaac, how I did not know how God would provide for Lot's rescue from those five kings, but God provided. Look, Isaac, at how I did not know twice, with once with Pharaoh, once with Abimelech, how God would provide protection for your mother, Sarah, but God provided. Look, Isaac, at how I did not know how God would ever going to provide peace in our home with Hagar, but God provided. Look, Isaac, how I didn't know how God was going to provide protection for your half-brother, Ishmael, but God provided. Look, Isaac, at how I did not know how God would provide the water for our family in the desert when my wells were stolen, but at Beersheba, God provided. 
And right now, Isaac, I don't know how God is going to provide for your safety, but I know from these experiences, God will provide. See, this is the background of what Abraham is saying to his son. And so that's why verse 9 is so important when it says they came to the place which God had told him of. See, this words, they came to the place, it shows that Abraham's answer to Isaac, it brought the peace. It brought peace to the storm. Seeing that God is not an abandoner that brings terror, but seeing God as a provider that takes to the storms of life and brings peace. So as Isaac died, he holds on to the words of Abraham that God's going to provide, then Isaac has peace, and they go. And in verse 9, Isaac watches Abraham build the altar. Isaac has peace as he thinks God will provide. And in verse 9, Isaac watches Abraham lay the wood in order on the altar, and Isaac has peace as he thinks God's going to provide. In verse 9, as Isaac saw Abraham bind his hands, Isaac has peace as he thinks God's going to provide. And in verse 9, Isaac feels the arms of his father going around him and picking him up and placing him on the altar, and Isaac has peace as he thinks God will provide. And the most terrifying thing in verse 10, as Isaac sees Abraham stretch out his hand to take the knife, and Isaac sees the glim of the sunshine on the blade of the knife, and Isaac has peace as he thinks God will provide. And you and I will have peace from a terrifying situation and a terrifying sight if we, like Isaac, will resort to God will provide. Now, what's remarkable in the description we have in verse 9 are these two words, in order. To me, it's remarkable. Anyway, those words, in order, describe setting the wood in place that Abraham, it says, he laid the wood in order. You know, it reads so matter-of-fact, he lays the wood in order. When it says there, Abraham built an altar and laid the wood in order. You know, they came, Abraham, they came, Abraham built, he laid the wood in order. He bound Isaac, he laid him on the altar. There's just no indication of any anxiety here. There's no indication of any tenseness or nervousness on the part of of Abraham, so much so that the Bible brings out this detail that he didn't just throw the wood on a pile and says, I can't take this. You know, but it says that he took the time to put the wood in the right order so it would support the weight of Isaac. And that's even more remarkable when we look at this and we look at the calmness of Isaac in this whole scene as we've seen. How can he be so calm? Well, if you asked Isaac, what do you think of this altar that's in front of you? What do you think of the rough wood? You know, it's not sanded that you're going to be laid on. And Isaac would reply, an altar? An altar? Some see an altar. I see the feet of God. I see the feet of God. I'm going to lay myself down at the feet of God. And that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ when it came time for him to do our work, the work of being a sacrifice for sins. And it says in Isaiah 53, 7, that that when he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he openeth not his mouth. Brought as a lamb to the slaughter, she before shears is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. It was not the nails that held the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross for our sins, It was his unswerving devotion to do the Father's will when it says in in Luke 22, 42, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What cup? The cup of the wrath of God that we all deserve for our sins. What will of God that the Lord Jesus Christ should drink that cup for us? Therefore doth my Father love me, John 10, 17, because I laid down my life John 10, 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. There was no struggle when the Roman soldiers came to nail him to the cross. As in essence, he said to those those soldiers, here's my right hand. 
for you to drive the nail through it. That's part of me doing the will of God, laying down my life. Here's my left hand. Here's my right foot. Here's my left foot. Nail them to the cross as I lay down my life. And as the Lord Jesus Christ looks at the cross that he's going to be nailed to, and he's asked, how could you be so calm? He could say, he, as he looks at the cross that he's going to be nailed to, he, he, could, he could ask, what do you think of that cross in front of you? What do you think of that rough wood that you're going to be nailed to? What do you think of that blood stain all over the cross that's been used before? And the Lord Jesus, he would probably, a cross? He'd say, a cross? Some see a cross. I see the feet of God. I'm going to give myself to God. And so now, evidently, in verse 10 here, Abraham has set the knife down in a place that, that after he put Isaac down, that he had to stretch himself out, is what is being emphasized here. He had to reach far to take the knife in his hand. It says in verse 10, Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife. And so even as I, Abraham is stretching his way, his way out to get this knife, we don't read any agitation, no resistance, no complaint from Isaac. And as far as what was in Abraham's mind, Abraham, as we know, it says in Hebrews eleven nineteen, he's just thinking on, God's able to raise him from the dead. Now, it doesn't say that Abraham was expecting God to raise him from the dead, and it doesn't say that Abraham was convinced that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead, but it said that Abraham was convinced that God was able to raise him from the dead. He didn't know what God was going to do, but he was convinced that he, he could do whatever he wanted to do. And then we come in verse 11, we get this Abraham, Abraham, and so much drama, so much drama now. It's just a heart stopper. I mean, the knife over Isaac and Abraham, we're ready to plunge the knife in, and we feel the urgency of it all as we, uh, Abraham, Abraham. And, and from that, we see how God knows just the right time and just the right moment to send his help. Not, we don't, but God does. And what, what, what do you think? What do you think? What if Abraham had been so absorbed in what he was going to do? I mean, after all, it's just like the nick of time. And, and, and he didn't hear his name. You know, he's not, he's not listening. You know. What if Abraham had plunged the knife into Isaac and then realized, oh, God was trying to stop me. Mm, look what I did. <laughs> what if Abraham realized after it was too late that he didn't want Isaac to die? What if Abraham had plunged that knife in and then realized that, oh, God was calling me, what would have happened then? What, what, if, what if we look back and realize that there was, you know, that wasn't the will of God, and I went ahead and did it, and it was too late? You think of a time in Scripture when a person did just that? You think of a time in a heat of a moment when a person went too far and it wasn't the will of God? You think of that? Some vows are, are worthy to be repented of, <laughs> and that was one of them. Okay, I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of another one. You think of a time when a person uh, 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 cut when he shouldn't have cut and it wasn't God's will? Uh, more hints. Can you think of a time when a person used a sword? That's right, Peter. See, in Peter, in Luke 22, 49 through 51, when it says, when they said, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And nobody waited for the answer. Of course, Peter, one of them, smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said, said, why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. You know, that wasn't my will. You didn't wait for the answer. So, so what did the Lord do? He touched the ear of Malchus the servant and put the ear back. He healed him. It was no problem for the Lord. It, it, he just touched the ear and placed it. That's a great encouragement for us. So if Abraham went too far, he would have healed Isaac, we believe. He was able to. And so verse 10 shows us that sometimes we can't see a way of escape but sometime God comes through with just in the nick of time with a wonderful, totally unexpected deliverance. 
But what we learn from verse 10 is that old lesson that we saw back in, in Genesis 16, 13, that Hagar taught us when she said, she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God seest me. And what we see here in this verse is that God was seeing Abraham and intervened just at the right time. And because it says in Psalm 121.4, behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Okay, that's as far as we'll go this morning. Father, thank you so much for being the God that we have been studying about today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, as, as, as Abraham learned that God will provide, we pray that we would be like Isaac and learn too of your provision and to trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.